Yes, it is, and welcome back. Friday, March 18th, 2022, our usual Friday afternoon guest, George Kaloff, can't be with us this week. He'll join us for a political roundup next week. Uh, so it's Open Lines Friday, and uh, that number is 602 uh, And um, Doug is—I uh, promised to go to Doug in just a moment. Uh, he called in at the tail end of the last segment, uh, our shortest segment. Uh, and I think he wants to talk about my monologue. If you missed it, you can always get it at 960thepatriot.com. You can get anything we do here uh, for free at 960thepatriot. Dot com. It was a little different. I uh, started off with some T.S. Eliot and uh, William Butler Yeats and ran us through some Karl Marx, some Whitaker Chambers, and ended with Abraham Lincoln, where we probably always should end, uh, on this issue that's uh, really got me thinking, given what the NCAA gave a, trof- uh, a gold trophy to yesterday, a gold medal to yesterday in Leah Thomas. But uh, anyway, uh, back to the line, 602 508 Zero nine six zero. Doug, thank you for your patience, sir. Oh, absolutely. Always, always worth waiting for. Did uh, you have an open-necked velour short at one point in the seventies or eighties or nineties? <laughs> no, nothing I'd ever admit to. A denim no. jacket and jeans. No, no, no. Hush I, puppies. No, hush puppies I, on your shoe on your feet. Yeah, well, no, I was given hush puppies, and I had a little bit longer hair, and uh, the football coach asked me why I would do that because he, he was afraid I was going to pe- become a lefty radical, and I said, it's marketing. And, and he, of course, said, what, what do you mean marketing? And I said, the girls like it, so the girls get it. Uh-huh. You know, I understand. Standard. Yeah, sure. Yeah. 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 I, I, needed a, I needed your lesson in marketing. Uh, I was wearing tough skins for way too long. <laughs> well, my kids totally enjoy the pictures of uh, Susan and I when we on our wedding day. I had long, uh, you know, curly uh, hair on my wedding day in '77, and they they laugh at me constantly. I you hope know, you had a light blue or yellow are. ruffled tuxedo shirt. I really do. Oh no! I in that I had a, I took an old English tux. I okay. went traditional. <laughs> right. and, yeah, we right. played Hello, we played Ave Maria. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. But I was, I was a mix. Beautiful. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead, sir. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to add on to your monologue, which I, I think is, you know, you, I love your monologues. Uh, they're always intellectually uh, stirring. Thanks. But I, what I wanted to do is take it and just go a little bit to a slight side. Okay. In that uh, to the average liberal, it's all about their God and their sacrament. And uh, for many, and I know many of them, as I said, including my brother-in-law, who I love dearly, but he's a he's a socialist. Uh, you know, they they you know honeymooned in in uh, Cuba, you know, thinking they're enlightened, and and uh, that's the type of people they are. But their sacrament, uh, we believe in God, and as as a Christian, you know, we think in terms of Jesus, uh, our Lord and Savior, but. They look at uh, their sacrament as the state, and no bit of illogic uh, should be interfered to that. Remember when I talked earlier that that capitalism is a you know a form of economics can never succeed at a high enough, even though it's brought the greatest amount of human success to the planet, it can never succeed well enough 
to not have to be destroyed because it's not perfect. And and, so, and, 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 and your antipode to that is and socialism, communism can never fail greatly enough such that it won't be resurrected in every generation, right? Something like that? You bet. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I've and always so liked that We have to line. realize, yeah, it, and you have to, we have to realize that that is our mindset. And in order to require that, and that applies to every bit of uh, leftist logic, that, put those two together, and it applies to everything, whether it's transgender, homosexuality, and race, they step over all kinds of huge jumps of logic because the sacrament is the state and the goal of the, of the Marxist. Even if they disavow it, in the end, it's the only logical outcome. There is no stop button to this until we get there. So we have to realize the reason we're here is not because of them. It is because it has taken us 40 years on the right to realize that there is a nobility and, and there is an honor and a requirement that we oppose these ideas. When you have a child, and uh, you was a scout leader for 15 years, had a pack of 77 boys and back in the 80s, and the, the troubled ones were the ones that didn't have any discipline. So bad, be, um, you know, ordinary child bad behavior and ego would begin to accentuate until they would bring him to me and then say, he needs some male instruction, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and guidance. And I said, well, you're about 12 years too late. Mm -hmm. In other words, and this is what we've done with the left. Mm -hmm. Every time they advanced, we receded. Mm -hmm. And so it begins to accentuate and grow and grow in veracity and grow in boldness and arrogance. It's been unopposed for two and a half, three generations. Mm-hmm. And so this is the, it's, we have to think in terms of the human experience. There is no human behavior that, if it's not countered and balanced, doesn't become more and more out of balance and extreme. The, there's a and part, before we go fault. to the extreme and out of balance part, there's a, there's a, there's, you were just giving voice to a part that I want to focus on for a half a moment with you, Doug. Sure. Which sure. is our uh, cat, uh, lack of... Our lack of communicating on this, uh, our lack yep. of discussing, how did you put it? Uh, we have not answered it for a generation or two. Is that how you put it? Yes, yes, yeah. That, that yeah. absence, that vacuum, that vacuum has led to an odd situation where we now have, I talk to them all the time, I don't know if you have a chance to, where we now have teenagers who might listen to the kinds of things I was saying about this, or you might say about this, and look at us so darn confused, like, what the heck are you talking about? Our language, our moral language on this stuff, yeah. our biological yeah. language on this yeah. stuff, our natural language on this yeah. stuff, right. is a different language than they know. It's an alien language. They look at us quizzically. They really, we have so abandoned the field that the dictionaries we all think we're using, we aren't, and no longer apply. It's a weird thing. It's a weird thing. I don't know if you've had experience really with that. Is. I have it all the time. Oh, totally. Okay. Oh, constantly. It, it, and what's happened is, it, it, and again, we keep attributing everything to the left, and I think we, it, nothing will change. Nothing changes personally in an interpersonal relationship. Nothing changes as a child unless you—we have to assess ourselves. Nothing changes in sports. 
nothing changes morally, spiritually, physically, unless we can look at ourselves. The left is not the problem. Our lack of willingness, and especially the religious right, I'm a devout Christian, and I get into this all the time with the religious right. They just want to focus in on the church. And I, and I, here's the question I want to ask everybody out there. Where on earth at any time in history, I'm giving you plenty of latitude, has a leftist socialist society ever been religious? It is not. It dies in those environments, in those cultural and societal environments. So we have to realize that if we do not, if we want to fight for the church in religious civility, if we, we have to be willing to fight for the culture. And if you want to fight for the culture, you have to fight for the society. And if you're going to fight for the society, you have to be willing to fight politically. Because the culture and society in our religion is the manifestation of the political environment. And in, we have pulled out of all those three fights and think that the church will survive. It won't. As Europe is an example of going from 96% uh, faithful to a 5 or 6 or 7%. We lost it because we pulled out of fighting for the environment and the grounds that allows faith to exist and nurture and grow. And we just went there and just focused on the building itself. You, uh, you have given us a uh, huge thing to discuss here, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to you back in just a moment, and I'm not going to... Um... I'm not even, uh, boy, there's a lot there, Doug. Bear with me. I'd like to unload on it a little bit with you. I'm Seth Liebson. There's room for more. 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. That one makes my teeth hurt. We found one that makes my teeth hurt. I'm sorry. It was a good shot. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. Doug, you still there? I am still here. You, uh, in the last segment, uh, you gave a um, a year's worth of uh, political philosophy, 501, not 101, but 501. Uh, you were talking about uh, your struggles and arguments uh, with your uh, fellow believers and people within the church uh, who tend to uh, – uh, the, the ones you have who happen to be leftists and uh, that uh, churches cannot survive in leftist regimes. You talked about uh, the, the leftist god uh, tends to be the state. Let me, uh, let me break down a few responses I have and, and see where it gets us and see what you think of it. Uh, first Absolutely. off, um, their God is the state, I think, or their sacrament is the state was something you had said once or twice. And it's an interesting thing. It didn't used to be. It didn't used to be. Uh, you will recall that uh, up until really very recently, maybe maybe about a generation, maybe about 30 years, uh, that the left was animated by pushing against and opposing the state, uh, the, 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 the dissent, uh, the notion of dissent, uh, the counterculture. They called themselves the counterculture. They were against uh, corporations and they were against the state. 
But they found out something interesting, that Maoist line, power emanates from the end of the barrel of my gun. Power emanates from the state, and power ends, uh, emanates from the corporation. So they moved through it and took it. Once they took it, then that is when they made it their sacrament, because that's where the power emanates from. First thought. I'll just do this in three brief thoughts. I think it's three, maybe four. Brief thoughts. Second, uh, uh, second reaction I have is how they went about doing it. They had to train a generation or two to get us there, so they went to the schools. They couldn't do it through stockholders and shareholders' meetings, and it was never popular at the ballot for even the Democratic Party didn't like the counterculture back in the 60s and 70s. Uh, John Kennedy, name your favorite Democrat from the 60s and 70s. They wanted nothing to do with that stuff. I don't care if it's John Kennedy or Robert Kennedy. I don't care if it's Hubert Humphrey or Walter Mondale or Sergeant Shriver or Edmund Muskie. They were not part of that. They had no truck with this stuff. None. Zero. So the counterculture, the lefties, had to go to the schools and change the Democratic Party and change the state and and change the ethos of the day and the age. This is when we were all, as you say in our uh, – as as you and Tone, uh, in in our – as Shakespeare put it, lethal slumber. We were in our lethal slumber while this was going on. Um, Think about – think about – a third thought. I I want you to think about the creation of the state and religion in – where it exists in leftist or communist cultures. Every human rights movement that I know of that was doing good work on human rights in other countries had to struggle with those states, shall we say, um, co-opted religious authorities. So let's say in the 60s and 70s, there was a big fight to free uh, Jews from the Soviet Union. And, you know, there was a a lot of talk about the oppression that the Jews were facing in Soviet Russia. You can do this with China. You can do this with Christians in China. You can do it with any place. I I just I was reading some history on this recently that reminded me of this. And when people would talk about it, think about Dennis Prager's testimony about this stuff. When people would talk about it, they would always be confronted with. No, we have this Russian rabbi. No, we have this Russian synagogue. The Chinese would say, no, we have this Christian pastor. We have this Christian church. And it would, it would, uh, it would distract and answer the argument that people who knew better were thinking. You know, the state, always, the state will always create, the leftist communist state will always create its, uh, its, its, its own co-opted people and offer them you know, life or death, and if life, you do what we say. This is the version of when uh, this country, you know, gives money to organizations that take it, nonprofits that might take state or federal money. They then have to dance to the federal or state tune. They then, but 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 in places like China, the Soviet Union uh, wasn't it wasn't a tune they had to dance to. It was life or death, or life and imprisonment, or imprisonment, free life or imprisonment. I think you know what I'm talking about in in that yeah. thought. Because, as Karl Marx put it, a religion is das opium des vulcus, right? Religion is the opiate of the masses. It had to be crushed. As my teacher Harry Jaffa said so in the Soviet Union, with religion seen as the opiate of the masses, you had a society that treated uh, religion, uh, Jews and Christians, the way most sane societies treat drug dealers. That's, 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 how they were, that's how they were treated. 
And and you don't really even need to go uh, to religious sources on this. You can go to uh, political sources if you want or pre-biblical sources if you want, pre-biblical depending uh, on on how you count these things. And and look at the very first uh, chapter of the very first book uh, in, in Aristotle's Politics where he talks about man creates several institutions, the family and the state being the first two. And it gets to be a little controversial, and we've discussed this before, but Aristotle says the state is prior to the the polis, the city-state, the the governing body is prior to the family, prior to the family. The family doesn't come first for Aristotle. Why? Why? Because it won't exist if you get the state wrong. If you have a state that isn't just, you aren't going to be able to have a family of any meaning. You could then take it from there or religion, or church, or you name it. But unless you get the conditions to protect it and nurture it right, then we end up being a beast or a god, as Aristotle said, and not a human being. Um, Those are my four reactions to you. Oh, oh, wonderful. And I'd like to add to what you just said about uh, the state before the family. Right. Okay. So let me give the conclusion to that point. You got to get the state right. You got to get the state yeah. right. And there are different kinds of states. We are a country. We are right. the United. We're, we're a country. China's a country. Communist China's a country. Where would you rather have right. your church? Where would you rather be a Uyghur Muslim? And where would the church thrive? You know, there, there was another uh, philosopher who said something almost identical, um, but in a more modern vernacular. Uh, Charles Krauthammer. Yeah, said that it is true that family and church are the most important things. But, however, that is true only if you have everything else right. Yeah, right. And, and, and that makes the very same point, in that we have to realize you do fight for the church, and you do fight, or the synagogue, and, uh, or temple, it, when you fight for the correct society— and you can't fight for the society unless you're fighting for the correct politics. You know, there, 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 there was another example um, that shows the downfall um, when you ignore the importance of the polit- correct politics that allows the religion and hence society to flourish. And that is in Victorian England. In the 1800s, there was a very strong, um, uh, you know, spiritualism, but there was a strong philosopher at that time, and I just happened to forget his name because I was I'm busy. I was painting and then talking to you, and I ju- it slips my mind. Hold the thought real but quick. Hold, whole... hold that thought real quick. Hold the thought real quick. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, brought to you live from the uh, Guns Etc. studios, doing a little political philosophy here today. And uh, with Doug, uh, I'll just say it again, and you may not be interested in political philosophy, but I show you the world. It sure is interested in you. Go ahead, Doug. Thanks for your patience. Oh, God, you said it so well. You know, uh, anyhow, uh, an example of how things grow, and this, this can mirror what the, how the left advanced in, in America, in the same logic, is back in Victorian England, there were very devout religious people in the 1850s, where England was, empire was at a tight by 1856, and the Boer Wars and all that. But 
uh, there was a philosopher and um, who basically his whole thing was you don't need religion. What religion is trying to do is give you a sense of order. And uh, because of our education and enlightenment in Victorian England, we can replace that and should replace that with an intellectual logic, the logical Englishman who can reason his way through life's problems. And that began to spread on like wildfire. And at first, I believe... Um, that it had very little impact. And you can see that decades later, the impact of that of all the, in all the movies, it is the logical Englishman that, that you know, it manifested itself throughout the culture. Mm-hmm. And at first it had little impact because it was based and it lived in a soup of religious order mm-hmm. and moral order. Mm-hmm. And so it had very little impact. What began to happen and what's happened here is that it slowly began to replace the moral and spiritual order. And so the very soup that allowed it to live harmlessly, a moral and societal order based on moral and spiritual order, was began to uh, dissolve. And it was replaced with the um, what you call the height of man becoming... God, and in that case, this is human reason more important than godly and spiritual life. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and then, and really what happened is, is that it began to go secular, and then after the war it went socialistic, and that arrogance and the reason lived. Now, and with the left in America, in the 60s, they, they didn't want the judgment. And so, therefore, they were going to use logic and reason. Now, the whole point to that is the left has fallen in love with uh, the civil rights movement and the crises. And so, there. It, by the way, and that didn't hurt America because it was living in a soup of moral and spiritual order. The same thing. We were a moral society in a spiritual order. And so we were a very good, strong society. It had little impact. You could have some rambunctiousness and riots here and there, but overall society was very stable and order, and you know, very, very deeply strong. What began then is it began to grow, and it was left unopposed. The religious never talked back, never countered its um, what seemed harmless at, 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 at in the beginning. There was never an off button to it. So it continued to grow and consume until it had consumed the very order that it had allowed it to exist in the first place. We haven't been that off button. It happened in Victorian England. There was no counter. There was no, there was only accommodation. And the church in England now is quite secular and quite woke, and it's not really, you know, Christian as I see it. It's more of a secular, you know, do-good place. And that's what's happened here. We have accommodated it, and what was harmless at first continues to grow and accelerate. And think about the, the left need for to recreate the civil rights movement. There always has to be a crisis, and that's why you see them go from crisis to crisis, because it is in that crisis it gives them meaning. Oh, yeah. 
to try to solve it. Sure, sure. What Marx called, what Marx called, yeah, what Marx called the permanent revolution. We have to be in that state. I have a, without disagreeing with you, I have a slightly different read on what happened to the civil rights movement, but I think you'd agree with it, is it went off track when it abandoned exactly what you're saying, the moral order it was based on. You go back and read Martin Luther King's sermons, not his speeches, but his sermons, and you think about how many churches you've been to where you've heard sermons like that lately. It's almost an alien language, too. They, it is hard stuff. It is it is muscular Christianity, if I might, Doug. And that's what made Martin Luther King, I think, in part so special, is not only using, you know, biblical injunction and biblical intonation for what he was what he was asking of this country, but also American foundations, which we could all unite around. And that was abandoned. And I think that was the problem, too. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. That's the Silver Fox. Welcome back, right? Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Open lines Friday, 602-5080-960. Uh, in my first hour, Bill and I were committing to no longer watching ESPN, our own little personal moral victory of a boycott, because they are boycotting their own show, their own station, their own network by having a walkout. ESPN is having a walkout. Not because a girl won a man, not because a man won a girl swimming NCAA tournament, but because the transgendered are under attack in Florida because five-year-olds, according to Governor Ron DeSantis and the Florida legislature, should not be taught about gender fluidity and transgenderism. They're walking out. So Bill and I said, well, we'll just never watch ESPN. Bill said, well, I don't mean to uh, I don't mean to one up you. But uh, I haven't watched ESPN in five years as it is. And I said, no, you don't have to worry about one-upping me. I haven't watched it in 50. <laughs> okay. So it's a boycott of some of, 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 of moral significance. The point I was making with Doug on civil rights, I hope it wasn't lost in the, in the rapidity with which I had to make it given the, uh, the, the break. But I think, I think it went off track when the civil rights ethos lost its, lost its moral bearings. It's moral moorings. One of the great things about Martin Luther King Jr. was he discovered or found or in him lived and taught the rest of us that what he was fighting for could be something the entire nation could rally around, could rally around the ethic of America's founding, the Declaration of Independence. You know, you rally uh, someone on a movement based on that. When's the last? When is the last time a leader of a cause based their movement on the Declaration of Independence? I can't think of it. I can't think of it. But also, 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 a very traditionalist approach, if that's the right word, orthodox. I don't know if that's the right word. A very serious approach, a very muscular approach to his faith in Christianity. I mean, you cannot read a speech a political uh, protest speech of Martin Luther King's without seeing him invoke the Bible as much as the Declaration and the American and American history and the founding. And if you read his sermons, which are different than his rally speeches or his protest speeches or his political speeches, if you read his sermons, uh, I challenge you, I, I would just challenge you to find a church that sounds like that much anymore. I know they exist, but they're increasingly rare. They're increasingly rare. 
It's strong stuff Martin Luther King was talking about when he when he preached the Bible. Um, re, you know, take anything you want. Yes, it's it's uh, the easy, the first thing to be would certainly be his 1963 uh, sermon. I have a dream speech. Uh, it's not sermon speech as I have a dream speech. But look at his letter from Birmingham uh, or look at any of his subsequent speeches. Look at his speech in uh, Memphis. I mean, it is it is drenched in the language of the Bible and the American founding. And once that was abandoned, perhaps shortly after his death, once uh, that was taken over by non-reverence, that's when I think it also lost its center and turned into something not like equality but revenge and not just in the physical sense though we had that but also in the moral and legal sense moral and legal sense and it turned into the phrase used to be reverse racism reverse racism that was the point I was trying to make once it divorced itself from what you might call Jerusalem and Athens the Declaration of Independence natural law, natural right, and uh, the Bible, uh, the Jerusalem part, it lost, it lost itself, and we became a confused people over it, and civil rights became a confused thing, and we don't really know what it is anymore, though only one side will tell us with force what they think it should be and that we must comply. And the reason we don't comply is we don't think it's quite right. There's still some vestige, there's still some remnant in us that has a common sense to these things, just as we may have lost the argument. Let me rephrase that. We may have lost the ability to make the argument as to why what Leah, is it Leah Thomas or Thompson? Sorry. Leah, the, uh, yeah, Leah Thomas. We may, we have lost the ability to make the argument as to why celebrating Leah Thomas and giving her the right to do what she's doing is right. We don't know how to make that argument anymore. The Chesterton line, I did it yesterday. The cannibal goes to Oxford University and the and his roommate from Oxford says, uh, well, you know, our our lunches are a little different than yours. The cannibal asks why and he says, well, we just don't do that here. To which Chesterton said the man schooled in medieval ethics would have been able to give him a reason why. We've lost the ability to know why, but there is something about us that still understands what's taking place here isn't quite right, isn't there? isn't there. We know it. Something isn't quite right here. At a minimum, most of us do. At a maximum, the concern is that most of us fear saying anything about it. We're cowed into silence about it. We're cowed into silence about it. It would be like akin to the New York Post printing letters and documents from Hunter Biden's laptop. They will be shamed into it. Look what happened to a student here at ASU. A student here at ASU, uh, I think it was was it was it the George Floyd the uh, George Floyd George Floyd death or another? It might have been another. Anyway, there was a counter narrative. It wasn't George Floyd. It was another one. There was a counter narrative that too many people didn't want to talk about. The left didn't want you to know about. The New York Post did, and they published it. And a journalism student. At ASU, did the st- yeah Rayleigh Klein? Thank you. She was on this show. A journalism student linked to it, linked to the New York Post story. That's all she did was linked to a New York story, which gave a different set of facts than most of the media was reporting. And she got fired from her job as the um, as the head of the radio station at ASU. 
got fired from it. That's how they treat you. And the New York Post got shut down, shut down on social media for two weeks because they published the goods on Hunter Biden, the goods that people like James Clapper and former intelligence officials like Leon Panetta and even Joe Biden said was a Russian disinformation campaign. It wasn't. And the New York Times admitted as much yesterday. Yesterday, the New York Times could admit it once their guy was in office. Once their guy was in office, they could admit to it. The whole transgender debate, you know, it's interesting, um, especially at the Leah Thomas situation going on here. You know, uh, we have... um, we have we have this in culture in our movies. Maybe we haven't made the connection. You think about the Jurassic Park series. Just a thought that I'm developing. I haven't fully thought it out. Who's the hero in Jurassic Park? Isn't it Jeff Goldblum's character, Ian Malcolm? Isn't he the hero? Isn't he the one everyone loves to quote and everyone thinks is smart and has the right approach to all this? What is his debate throughout the series with John Hammond? Someone who thinks they're God and can change nature and someone who doesn't think you can don't you see the danger john inherent in what you're doing here genetic power is the most awesome force the planet's ever seen but you wield it like a kid that's found his dad's gun your scientists were so preoccupied with whether they could they didn't stop to think if they should that's what we're doing with these kids and that's what we're doing with these young adults but the society has become john hammond And people like me are in the position of Ian Malcolm and supposedly were wrong. We're now returning you to our regular musical programming right after that little uh, frolic and detour with ABBA, which was fine. I loved it. Welcome back uh, to the Seth Liebson Show, parts of which are brought to you by the good people of Balance of Nature. They are good people. You want to know why they advertise on the Fox News Channel and, and shows like this? It's because they support your right to the information that we try and convey. They support your right to free speech, which is why I love supporting them secondarily to the great product, which is the primary reason I love them. It's a great product. There are uh, over 30 whole fruits and veggies in a, in a single daily dose to help you maintain, protect, and even repair your health. I have never felt uh, so good as I have since uh, taking Balance of Nature. It's all natural. It's third-party tested. There is nothing added to it, whatever. There are no pesticides, no metals, nothing else but fruits and veggies. That is it, using their cold press process to get it into those capsules that if you don't like swallowing, which I don't have a problem with, I, I, you know, they're like any normal you know, capsules, but some people simply don't like swallowing capsules, you can easily open them up and sprinkle them in food or drink. Balance of nature, they're fruits and veggies uh, to uh, maintain your health, protect your health, repair your health, and boost your immunity. My gosh, nothing like the power of these great, potent, powerful fruits. Um, balanceofnature.com, they're fruits and veggies. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. Very important. Use discount code BALANCE to get the best deal. I'm working on another thesis. I floated one about uh, the debate on transgenderism really being the debate between uh, Ian Malcolm and John Hammond. What was that? Richard Attenborough and uh, Jeff Goldblum in the Jurassic Park series. We all made Ian Malcolm the hero. He is still the hero. He is the guy we love to quote. 
Well, he's the guy that's against man playing God and, you know, futzing around with nature. That's a Yiddish word, F-U-T-Z, futzing around with nature. Um, that's one theory I'm working – one thesis I'm playing with. The other one is um, the Ukraine story. I don't think we've really talked about it today, and I am really kind of marveling a little bit and amazed that no matter what station you churn on, it's 24-7, the Ukraine story, and I don't mean to diminish the importance of that story – it's just that there is really nothing – I don't know what more there is to know right now except this. Except this. Joe Biden had a two-hour call with uh, Xi Jinping of China today. Two hours. The readout that the White House put out is uh, one paragraph and maybe seven sentences at most. How about the transcript, folks? Do we get the transcript? Boy, when Donald Trump had a, had a conversation with another world leader, the demands for the transcripts were everywhere. I'd kind of like to know what was said here. I'd kind of like to know. Excuse me for not accepting Jen Psaki's summary of it, that it went just fine and well. You think Joe Biden can do a two-hour conversation? 602, well, actually, 602 is our number. I am Seth Leapson. We will be right back. <laughs> 